in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, beginning with verse 31 through 40. And tonight we're going to be teaching you on the menorah, also called the golden candlestick in the tabernacle of Moses. Amen. Praise the Lord. Exodus 25, beginning with verse 31. Okay, you are looking at a few pictures for the guys in the back that are operating the video you will see there's an alternate opinion uh, we're going to go with this one though you're on the right one okay just leave it there for just a moment so I can address that to the congregation okay praise the Lord Exodus 25 beginning with verse 31 thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold of beaten work shalt the candlestick be made his shaft and his branches his bowls his knops and his flowers shall be of the same and six branches shall come out of the sides of it three branches of the candlestick out of the one side three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knot and a flower in one branch. Three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knot and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick, this would be the center shaft. Okay, so the center shaft is called the same thing as the candlestick or menorah. So in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knots and their flowers. There shall be a knot under two branches of the same and a knot under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. The knots and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. Thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of the talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. I ask for your inspiration tonight to declare your word. Uh, give us revelation. Give us illumination upon the menorah tonight. We thank you, Father, for all 
that we will learn tonight. Help us, Father God, to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. And let's go to Exodus chapter 40. You will find in Exodus 40 the location of the menorah or the golden candlestick. Now, again, this is located in the tabernacle of Moses, which was a type and a shadow of things to come. It was a type of the heavenly tabernacle. It was a type of the church of the living God and ultimately a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a picture. Everything in it's a picture of that which is going to come. So we can learn a lot about the church, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and about the heavenly tabernacle as we study it. Tonight, the golden candlestick or the menorah. It's really not a candlestick because it had oil in it and wicks in the oil provided the light, not a candle itself. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 40, the location of it. Verse 24. Exodus chapter 40, verse 24, gives us the location of the candlestick. All right, it was located in the holy place. Remember, you had the outer enclosure, and then the tabernacle itself, you had two compartments. One was the holy place, one was the holy of holies. There was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The holy place is where the menorah is located. And it's located on the southern side. Of course, the tabernacle faced east. Okay? So it's on the southern side of that holy place in the tabernacle. It tells us, verse 24, He put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. So we have the location of it in the holy place on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, praise the Lord. Leviticus chapter 24, let's go over there. We'll find out about the oil that went into the menorah. Beginning with verse 1, Leviticus 24, 1. In the menorah itself, uh, what supplied the fuel for the fire is olive oil. So Leviticus 24, 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto the pure oil of olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually without the veil of the testimony. So this is another location uh, indicator. It's outside the veil of the testimony in the holy place. In the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron. Say Aaron. He is the high priest. He is going to order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generation. So the oil that goes into it is pure olive oil. Verse 4, he shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. Okay, so we go over to the New Testament. Let me give you the scripture in John 8. Jesus says, 
John 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. So he fulfills this menorah, John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus is the true light. That's the title of the message tonight. Jesus is the true light. Okay. Let's go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 tells us also that the menorah, Revelation calls it candlestick as well, is also a type of the church. So Revelation chapter 1, let's look at verse 12. The Bible says, John turned to see, Revelation 1, 12, uh, the voice that spake with me, being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. See that? Seven golden candlesticks. It doesn't say that it's one lamp with seven candlesticks on the one lamp. There are seven menorahs that are seen here. Okay, do you see that? Seven individual menorahs. Not one menorah with seven stems, but seven complete total menorahs. All right, so let's look at it again. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the paths with a golden girdle. All right, so we see Jesus is in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks, correct? Okay. It describes him, verse 14, his head, his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like into fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And I saw him. I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So when you talk about the menorah then, and Jesus standing in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks or seven menorahs, we have a reference here to what? His death and his resurrection, Correct. What does he say to them? Well, he says in verse 17 that he is the first and the last. I am he that, what? Liveth and was dead. Okay, so the menorah is going to speak to you of two things. It's going to speak of the death of Jesus, and it's going to speak of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, he's standing in the midst of those seven menorahs. And he tells us that he is alive and he was dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. 
Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, here's the interpretation of the menorahs. There, verse 20. Revelation 1.20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, or they are the seven messengers. An angel means messenger. So God has the seven messengers of the seven churches in his hand. That means when you say angel, messengers, he's talking about the pastors. He doesn't need to have a, a spirit being, like an angelic being in his hand. He's got the messengers of the church. He's got the pastor pastors of those seven churches in his hands. And then he goes on and explains the menorah, the seven candlesticks. All right. The seven stars are the, are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So now we find out John 8, 12 says Jesus is the light of the world. Now we find out that the menorah is also a, ter a, a type of the church of the living God. Now, Jesus said, he said, I am the light of the world. In one place, he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You understand that? Okay, let's go over to Revelation 21. Verse 20, uh, chapter 21, Revelation, verse 23. Revelation 21, 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. So we see once again that the Lamb is the light of the city. Now go to Revelation 22, verse 5. There shall be no night there. He's talking about in that heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. So Revelation 22, 5 says that the Lord God is the light. In Revelation 21, 23, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of that city. Obviously, he is God, okay? And uh, there will be no need of the sun in that city or the moon there because he will be the light of it himself. So we find in the Scripture then, by the Word of God, that this menorah that we're going to teach you on tonight is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the light of the world, and it is a type of the church of the living God, which is you, Okay? So let's go back to the book of Exodus once again, and we will begin to teach you on the menorah. Now, the scripture tells us here that uh, we've already located in the southern side of the holy place, so this is where the priests would minister. Now, when you get in that holy place, I won't back you up and look at that, 
But in that holy place, there is no natural light whatsoever. You had natural light in the outer court, the light of the sun. But as you moved into the tabernacle itself, there was absolutely no natural light that was allowed inside of that tabernacle. The only light of the tabernacle in the holy place came from this menorah or this golden candlestick. And as I said, there was no natural light. Sunlight did not shine in that tabernacle. The light came from that menorah. And the light or the fire that came from that menorah, that fire came from God Himself. Now, you will remember when they built the altar and they placed the sacrifice on the altar, the Bible says that the fire of God came from the most holy place where He was enthroned on the Ark of the Covenant. That fire came out of that most holy place from His throne. It ignited the sacrifice on the altar and consumed it. And when that sacrifice was burned up by the fire of God, symbolic of God accepting that sacrifice, the Bible says all the people fell and worshipped. So the power of God is demonstrated by His fire, by His light consuming that sacrifice. So God is the one who lit the fire on the altar of sacrifice and it was from the altar of sacrifice that they got the fire for the menorah and the fire for the altar of incense. So this light, this fire is not connected to natural fire or light in any form or fashion because the original fire came from God Himself. So God is the one who supplied the fire that was on this menorah and it was the only light that was in the tabernacle. No natural light. So it was supernatural light. If it was not for that menorah right there as they walked inside the tabernacle, they could see absolutely nothing. They would be in complete and total darkness. But because of the light that God had supplied for them in this menorah, they were able to see in that holy place. They were able to minister in the sanctuary. They were able to see the table of the Lord, which we taught you last Wednesday night, the table of showbread, able to minister there. And they were also able to offer incense unto God, all in this light that would have been in a dark place. Okay? And this light, as I said, was supplied by God. It's really, you could say, God Himself. It is an attribute of God Himself. It is a manifestation of God Himself that you see on that menorah. Now, there are differences of opinions. Historically, the menorah or the golden candlestick, and I'm going to use the term golden candlestick because of the translation of the Scripture that we have and because of my familiarity with the term and also your familiarity with the term. So we'll just call it candlestick. It is a menorah. The historical records of the menorah give us a picture of the menorah like this with a total of six stems, three on each side. This is the main shaft, central stem. And these stems coming out of the side of the main shaft historically are always seen curved, going up into a 90-degree angle. You see that? Now... There is an, an alternate opinion, and it is this one here, that these 
stems coming out of the side of the main shaft of the menorah were uh, running like this, diagonally. Okay. Um, that comes, I believe, from Rambon. Um, probably not even saying his name right. But he wrote a commentary on the Old Testament. Um, it's called in the Mishnah. And he depicted the menorah as looking like this. Okay? But all historical pictures of the menorah, including um, the menorah that Titus, there's a big picture of the menorah of Titus, uh, carried away. And it is always depicted this way. Okay? So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it this way. I'm not saying it's impossible for it to look like this, but this is what we're going to look at. This particular um, picture of the menorah as to what it was, what the features were. This is the one we're going to go by, okay? And this is the one you see also up here on this picture. Uh, do you see that? Okay. Now the Bible says, I've already read it to you, the Bible says that this menorah was made out of one solid piece of gold. Okay? Now, I want brother to give me, go ahead and go to the next picture, and I want to show you some animation here. Uh, let's look at, yeah. This is the animation. Okay? They took one solid piece of gold. The scripture says we read to you that it weighed a talent. That's about 120 pounds of gold. They took that block of gold, 120 pounds of gold, and they made it out of that 120 pounds of gold without a machine shop. There was no machine shop used to build that menorah. Okay? So go back to the picture. They took that 120 pound block of gold and they hammered it out the Bible says they beat it okay so they carved it and they beat it with hammers and so very very elaborate difficult process now I'm going to give you something I'm not saying this it's not in the Bible the Bible doesn't tell us this but I'm going to tell you what the Jewish people say about the menorah they said that when God told Moses to make that menorah, it was so hard for him to understand that God told him, take the block of gold, 120-pound block of gold, and throw it into the fire. And so Moses took that 120-pound block of gold and threw it into the fire, and it came out of the fire. God made it himself. Now, I don't necessarily believe that. Okay, because the Bible says they beat it out. So I see in the scripture where God used men to make the menorah, to hammer it out, to beat it out, and to carve it out. Okay, but I'm just telling you so you'll understand this that when we get into teaching the menorah, the complexity of it, it is so complex that the Jewish commentator said Moses had a hard time understanding how to build it. I, the, the scripture's clear, though. They took that 120-pound uh, piece of gold and they hammered it out. Okay? They beat it and they carved it. Now, first of all, 
it speaks of Jesus' death. All right? We've got the gold being beaten. We've got the gold being hammered. Jesus' face was beaten. His back was beaten. All right? They nailed him to the cross with hammers. So when we, we talk about this one solid piece of gold weighing 120 pounds, number one gold speaks of his deity. And we talk about it being hammered out. This is teaching you about what's going to happen to the light of the world when he comes into the world. He is going to be beaten severely. He's going to be hammered and hammered and hammered. And he's going to do that in order for you and I to experience light and life, which can only come from God. So the beating of that menorah, hammering it out and carving it out, speaks first and foremost of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You with me so far? If you are, say amen. Now, we will get into this, but in this menorah, it looks like an almond tree. It was built to look like a tree, like an almond tree. And we'll have bowls here like this. That's a half an almond. We'll have a knob or a knop. That's a total almond. And then you'll have a flower. Now the flower will go on top of the almond and the almond will sit inside of the half almond or the bowl. And the almond in the scripture speaks of the resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we'll get into that. So the hammering speaks of his death. The almond itself speaks of resurrection. In the book of Jeremiah, in the first chapter, beginning verse 12, we're going to see that God calls the almond tree the waker or the hastener. And uh, God says, he gives his word to Jeremiah. He says, I will hasten my word to perform it. That means, and he gives him the vision of an almond uh, We'll see that in a minute. But anyway, before we get into that, the hammering speaks of his death on this. The almond speaks of his resurrection. We'll, we'll explain that to you as we get through it. But notice, there's only one menorah. Correct? One menorah. One God. Okay? One God. There's not three of them in there. There's only one. So that, again, that menorah's gold, it speaks of deity. So there's only one God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, right? And in John, the epistle of John says, God is light. Revelation 21 says, the Lamb is the light of that city. Revelation 22 says, God is the light of that city. So Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. Amen. One God. One light. Now, this is also a type of what? The church. One church. In the tabernacle of Moses, we see one menorah. Now, we see seven golden candlesticks in the book of Revelation. But when you look at the type in the tabernacle of Moses, this teaches you that there's only one church. Of God. There's not many churches. There's only one. So one God, one menorah, one church. He doesn't have many churches. He's only got one church. He's only got one bride. He doesn't have a lot of wives. He's only got one. Okay, do you understand that? 
You do say praise the Lord. All right. One God and one church. Now, what kind of church is it? Well, the menorah itself will teach you because the center stem has four sets of these. Four sets of three. The half almond, the almond in the half almond, the cup, and then the flower on top. So there's four sets of these. Four times three equals twelve. It speaks of divine government or apostolic government. So when you look in that menorah, it's one church, it's one God. In fact, the center stem on that menorah is called Ner Elohim. Ner Elohim means the lamp of God. You understand? Are y'all with me to this point? Ner Elohim means the lamp of God. It's also called the servant lamp. And out of the side of the center stem, which is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, Ner Elohim, the lamp of God, is coming the bride, the church, is coming out of his side. Do you understand that? And it is an apostolic church because there are four sets of three, twelve. So one church is an apostolic church with apostolic government in it. It has one God. It worships one God. All right? Now, uh, let's see, brother. Go ahead and go to the next picture. All right, we see the shafts coming out here of the side of the central shaft. There's a total of six shafts. There's one, two, three pairs, correct? Okay, one, two, three, four, four, five, six. So we have a total of seven with the central shaft. So we have six, correct? Okay, go ahead, brother. Next picture. These are the different opinions as to what the menorah looked like. Uh, I don't know if any of them are right. But this one's probably the closest one because it says there's three of these, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, go on to the next. I'm going to go off of this one. Okay. Go ahead to the next. There's four of those in the central shaft. Go ahead. Okay. The branches, the knobs. Go ahead. Okay. Does this have animation on it? No? Okay. All right. Go ahead to the next picture. Okay. Let's, we'll stop there. All right. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Look up here, please. At this one. This one I'm going to use because I, I believe that this is very accurate. Okay, we, We're not given specifics as to where they placed the, the, the bowls or the half almonds or where they put uh, all the implement, ornamentation on it. The Bible doesn't tell us. Okay, But we do, the, we do know the numbers of them. Now it's real important for us to see this. When you look at this, there are a total of three sets. You have, as the scripture says, you've got a bowl. You don't really see inside the bowl on this picture the almond. But this is an open almond or a half almond. And then you would have the knob or a round almond inside of the half almond. 
and then on top of that you got the flower okay an open flower you have three total sets on each one of these stems so you have three times three equals nine Three times three equals nine. 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 Three times three equals nine, right? So you got a total of nine parts on each stem here. Okay? Are you with me so far? You have four sets of them in here, so that's 12. Okay, so six times nine is 54. Plus 12 equals how many? 66. Now remember that this is a menorah, so it has oil flowing in it. You have 66 total parts or pieces in this menorah. That speaks of the 66 books of the Bible that you have. So the way that we know that we have the complete Word of God, the 66 books of the Bible that we have, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, one way we know we have the Bible, okay, the correct amount of books in it, is that we see it in the menorah. There are 66 pieces in the menorah. Six times nine, remember? Six stems here, nine parts, 54, 12 here, four times three. So 66, so we have the oil of God's Spirit flowing through all of these parts, okay, typically, which teaches us the 66 books of the Bible that we have are the books that are inspired by the Spirit of the living God. You with me so far? Okay. Now, when we look at this, if we have a total of 66 parts, 66 books of the Bible, then we have one, two, three knobs okay or almonds are you with me on this three six nine twelve fifteen eighteen and then four more one two three four four more eighteen and four equals what twenty two twenty two almonds each one of those almonds had the Hebrew letter on it. So there were 22 Hebrew letters, and on every one of those almonds or knobs was a Hebrew letter. And when the high priest walked into the holy place, the light would flicker from those wicks up here, it would flicker it would reflect, the reflecting, the, re, the flickering light would reflect off of the, the garments of the high priest, the breastplate, the thumbin, Urim and thumbin, which were two stones, okay, that determined the mind of the will of God. And lights and perfections, Urim and thumbin. When the high priest walked into the holy place and they wanted to determine the will of God, he would take the thumbin out and the breastplate on, on the ephod there would be on his chest, of course. And the light would begin to flicker supernaturally on that menorah in that holy place. It would bounce off of his breastplate and it would hit one of those letters. 
and God would use light like you would play a piano. God would use light as it flickered from here, reflecting off of here in the thumb, and, and it hit the letter, and God would spell out a message to the high priest or his will to the high priest in those letters that were on the menorah. So they could determine the will of God or get the revelation from God. Because light speaks of revelation. So we get revelation from God that way. So there's a lot of awesome things about this. Now, one thing I will tell you before I really get into the typologies and break it down is that 40 years before the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, when did the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem take place? Anybody know what year the temple was destroyed? 70 A.D. In the Jewish Talmud, it says 40 years before the temple was destroyed, the menorah in the temple refused to burn. 40 years before the temple was destroyed was the day that Jesus, or was the time that Jesus would have been around 30 years of age. So when the true light of the world came into the world, there was no need for the type, and the type refused to burn. And that's written in the writings, that's written in their, written in their own writings, the Jewish writings, okay? So when Jesus walked in, in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. At some point while he was alive walking the earth, that menorah refused to burn. God, Jesus fulfilled the typology and the picture that was there. Say amen. So it, God is fantastic, is he not? All right, so I just want to go over a few things with you on that so you kind of understand uh, this. Now, let's go over again to the book of Exodus in the 25th chapter. Verse 31, it says, you can follow along here. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, say pure gold, beaten work, so that we have that hammering. He speaks of the death of Jesus. Shall the candlestick be made? His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, his flowers shall be of the same. You get that? So we have the bowl, a half an almond. We have the knop or the knob, which is a complete almond, a flower on the top. So we have an almond tree here. Okay? Tells us how many branches? Six branches. It tells us three on each side. It's going to come out of the main branch, correct? Okay, let me talk to you about that. The branches come out of the side. The side right here are this main branch, beginning with the base. You have a base, you have the main central stem. The base, the central stem of the menorah was also called a thigh. It's also translated lowens like a man's loins. So watch this. Out of the side. This central stem then is a picture of Jesus Christ. He's near Elohim. He's the lamp of God. He's the servant lamp. Okay? As well. It's also called that. But out of his side is coming the church. Out of his loins. We are born again. We are born of God from Above, So we are coming out of the side of the lowings of God. And so this right here was called the, His thigh. It's a picture of the bride. Remember when Jesus was pierced on the cross? Water and blood flowed out of His side. It was a picture. Remember Adam when he was put to sleep in the garden? 
He, what did God do when Adam put when God put Adam to sleep? What did God do with Adam? He took a rib out of his what? His side, and he formed a woman or the bride, his wife, for Adam. So when Jesus died on the cross and water and blood flowed out of his side, that's when the church or the bride or his wife was born. So when we look at this, then we see that Jesus is the central stem. He's the source, okay? He's our bridegroom, and we came out of his side when he died on the cross, fulfilling the time, Adam being put to sleep, Jesus being put to sleep. While Adam is asleep, his bride is produced. While Jesus is, uh, when he dies on the cross, his bride is going to come out of that, that finished work. So we see then, again, his death, but this is, a, is also called his thigh. So we have a total of six branches coming out of this, and it's the central stem. He is the central stem, okay? Do you see that? Now on the top of each one of these stems, there was a bowl, and that bowl held uh, pure olive oil. They put the oil in the top of it, okay? You see that? Then they would take and they would put wicks. Say wicks. You know what a wick is, right? And remember, it's not a candle, hold, candle holder, a candlestick holder. It's a holder of oil. So they take that pure beaten oil and they put it in the top of those bowls. And the Bible says that they faced inwardly toward the main shaft. So this is a picture of the church. We're coming out of the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the, the source. And notice that each one of these bowls on the top of the menorah are pointing in toward Him. You understand that? So that these represent His bride coming out of His side. We don't have our own light. He is the one who gave us our light when He filled us with the oil or His Spirit. The oil is the top of the Holy Ghost. So when He fills you with the Holy Ghost, His Spirit, then He is the source of light. But notice, we don't have our own light. We're, it's not about us. We're not talking about us. We, our testimony is not about us. It's facing in toward the central shaft, each one of these. Notice this little hook or this little spout right there. Notice they're pointing inward. So the church does not testify about itself. The testimony and the witness of the church is about the central shaft. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So He's our testimony. He's the one that we witness to. And He's the source of our light. So, as I said, each one of these had oil, beaten olive oil placed in the top. And again, that oil is a type of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of the living God. Okay, say amen. Praise the Lord. Are you with me so far? Okay. Let's read a little further here. So 32, we have the six branches coming out of the side. Three on each side. And then it tells us about the bowls and the almonds. Okay, the bowls and then the almonds. This is the parts and pieces, okay? This really, I don't, this, I don't really like this picture too well either, but... Most depictions are going to have it where we have the half cup, the bowl, and then the almond in top, 
on the top, a full round almond, and then the flower on the top, okay? A total of three sets on each one of the stems and four in the central shaft. Okay, let's go on. Verse 34, and in the candlestick, that's the central shaft, the menorah, shall be four bowls made like unto almonds and with their knops and their flowers. There shall be a knop under two branches. Okay, and it explains that, um, these very various ornamentations. Okay, praise the Lord. Verse 37, thou shalt make seven lamps thereof. So we've got one menorah and seven lamps. And they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. Here we go. So it's giving light over against it. And that light is shining over the, onto the central shaft. Okay, so remember, our, our, our testimony is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where that scripture, uh, that's what the scripture teaches us. Now notice this. Verse 38. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Now, why is there going to be tongs and snuff dishes? Hey, brother, go ahead and go further in your pictures. Let's look at this. Okay, there they are. Its tongs and its scoops shall be of pure gold. Now, what we have here is the oil is the top of the Holy Ghost. We have wicks that are in the type of the top of the menorah. Now, this really gets interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us how many wicks were in the top of each one of these stems. The Bible doesn't say. But traditionally, the Jewish people, Jewish scholars said there were seven wicks in each one of them. Seven times seven is 49. The number 50 is the number of deity. Jesus Christ, who is God, condescended to our level. So one less than 50. He condescended to our level and became a man in order to save us. Okay? Now, um, that doesn't mean He stopped being God, though. It, it's a picture of Him coming down and becoming a man for us. Obviously, being a man is not equal to being God, but He was God and man. Does that make sense? Okay, so anyway, I don't know about that. But I can know I know this for sure. There were wicks that were placed inside of the bowls. Now watch this. You have the oil in the bowl at the top of the menorah. And by the way, they're all the same height. Okay, same height. Oil inside the bowl with a wick inside the oil. So that means the wick is in the oil that's in the bowl, and the oil is in the wick. That makes sense? Wick, the wick is in the oil, and the oil is in the wick. And the oil is a type of the spirits of God. The wick is you. The wick is you. Ultimately, it's Jesus Christ, okay? But when you talk and apply it to the church, the wick is the church. Now listen. Why is there need for tongs and snuff dishes? Because Aaron the high priest has to dress that lamp. He has to go and he has to cut or he has to trim the used portion of the wick. He's got to trim it off. He's got to cut it off. And he's got to put it in this scooper here that holds those 
those wicks or the ashes of those wicks. Now, I've done some study and I have read that they took the ash after they cut it, trimmed it, and put it in a spoon that they literally put them in gold boxes. They were called snuff boxes. So that the used portion of the wick was kept inside of gold snuff boxes. Now let me explain to you what's going on here. And the high priest goes in there daily and he trims the wicks. Because if you don't trim the wick, all you'll have is smoke. You understand? So first of all, let me bring it to you so we'll understand. We have to have the Holy Ghost in us. The oil is in the wick. So you have to be full of the Holy Ghost. Right? How many pieces in each stem? Three times three. Nine pieces in each stem. So nine, how many fruit of the Spirit are there? Galatians chapter 5 talks about the nine fruit. Really it's one fruit, but anyways, for the sake of understanding. Nine fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So there's a total of nine fruit of the Spirit corresponding to the nine pieces on each stem. Nine fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit of God. You talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you're talking about the character of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about nine gifts of the Spirit. Say gifts of the Spirit. Those gifts of the Spirit are in the church and they demonstrate His power or they manifest His presence. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12. Real fast. Go there. What is that menorah type of? It's a type of the church, right? So we have the fruit of the Spirit, nine fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there's one Spirit, but we have different gifts of the Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but of the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Here we go. Here are the gifts of the Spirit. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit, to another working in miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. There they are, nine gifts of the Spirit. Okay, you with me so far? So we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of God. This is what God is like. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. That's how God is in His character. So when you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, then you are, you are exhibiting the the nature of God, the character of God, as you have the oil in you, the Holy Ghost. Okay, you with me? Now, the Bible talks about nine, isn't that interesting? Nine gifts of the Spirit. But you can't have the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit if you don't have the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of in, in you. 
Okay, with me? Listen. So the first thing that you have to understand is that you have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have to be filled with, or you, and really you get to be filled with God's oil or God's spirit, right? Say gift of the Holy Ghost. When the Bible says they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Greek word is doria. Everybody that receives the baptism or the gift of the Holy Ghost, everybody without exception speaks in tongues. Because they're receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So once you receive the doria of the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you speak in tongues, then everybody that has the Holy Ghost can expect to be used by the nine charisma, charismas of the Spirit. Or gifts, plural of the Spirit, completely different word. Did you hear what I said? So you have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Doria, before you can be used in the charisma or grace gifts of the Spirit. Makes sense, right? You've got to have the Spirit before you can be used by the Spirit. But if you have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, Doria, then you can expect to be used by God in one of the nine grace gifts of the Spirit. How many times God will use you in a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, prophecy, miracles, etc. when you have the Holy Ghost. Okay, so we have then the oil flowing through nine pieces on each stem, nine fruit of the Spirit, if you will, Galatians 5, and nine gifts of the Spirit to demonstrate God, His power, manifest His presence, and then His nature. Okay, Now, you can demonstrate God's power and not have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But God wants you to be operating in the fruit of the Spirit, which is His character, and in the power of the Spirit, which demonstrates Him, and nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me go back to that wick. So, the wick is in the top of the bowl in the oil, and the oil is in the wick. So, these are Spirit-baptized believers. They have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're spirit-baptized believers. But you have to be trimmed. If you don't, you will stop giving off light and you'll start smoking. So the high priest will go in, as far as I understand the scripture, he goes in daily and he trims the wick off the burnt part of the wick, he trims it off. He takes it with a tongue. He puts it in the spoon. I, evidently, uh, from what I've read, they take it and put it in a box. Now, that is the works of the believer. Okay? Now listen to me carefully. If the high priest doesn't go in and trim those wicks, okay, number one, once the oil is supplied, it's your responsibility to make sure the oil is continually released in your life. Okay? The high priest has to go in. He has to put the oil in the menorah. It doesn't just happen. Somebody has to go and refresh it, renew it. It's a picture of you. You have to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. You have to refresh yourself in the Spirit. Okay, you got to be like the five wise virgins. Spiritually applica spiritual application. Five wise virgins made sure they had plenty of oil. The other five ran out of oil. It's the responsibility of you, the believer, to make sure that you receive the Spirit and that you are renewed in the Spirit daily. 
It is your responsibility, not God's. As you go to God for renewal and refreshing of the Holy Ghost, He will supply His Spirit to you. But it's your responsibility to be renewed every day, to be the wise virgins. And make sure you got plenty of oil in your vessel. Make sure you got plenty of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Okay? If you do, God's going to take you at the time of the rapture. If you don't have enough oil in your vessel, the door will be closed while you're out there trying to get some more oil. And you'll come back and you'll find the door is closed on you. Because you were not renewed and refreshed in the Holy Ghost. You didn't get enough oil. So when Jesus comes back, you're left behind. And you're going to run up there and try to get through the door. And He said, I'm sorry. You should have got oil before I came. So it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to make sure that we're renewed in the Holy Ghost. That we're fresh in the Holy Ghost. And as we go to God, He's the one that gives us that. But it's your responsibility and my responsibility to make sure that we are full of the Spirit tonight. Okay? Say praise the Lord. Now, the high priest goes in and cuts the wick, which is your past service. If you start relying on what you did Sunday for God, you're smoking tonight. Which means your light is not burning very brightly. Amen? So the high priest trims the wick, the old works... The wick that has burned in the past speaks of past works. So he trims that off. And so when the Lord comes in his church, not me, when he comes in his church and he walks the, the aisles of the church, he's not just here in this building, but on a daily basis, he walks into your life and he trims the old works off of your life. He trims off what you did the day before for him. And he takes that past work that he's cut off and he puts it in his snuff, gold snuff box of remembrance. So he never forgets the works that you have done in his name. They're stored in the gold box of his remembrance for you so you'll be rewarded in heaven. But you cannot live on past experiences in God. You've got to get a brand new experience every day of your life. And there is competition for that. Your jobs are competition. Sports can be competition. Every pursuit of life can be a competition for your service to God. And if you're not careful, you can get so busy in this world that you have absolutely nothing as far as service unto God. But you have to remember that everything that you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, something you did in the past, you can't live on that today. You can't live on Sunday's experience. You can't live. You've got to have a brand new, fresh renewing of the Spirit. And as the high priest comes in your life daily, he's going to trim that old work off of you, put it in his stuff box of remembrance to reward you. But he wants some brand new service. And what's beautiful about this wick is that as long as it's full of oil, you never see the wick. You only see the fire that's burning the oil off of the wick. But if ever that oil is not what it should be, you start seeing the wick. And if you start depending on past light, 
our past service, you will become a smoking lamp. And you are not going to produce or, or burn a pure light. And you need that light. And I need that light. In Numbers chapter 4, the Bible talks about when they carried that lamp through the world, they covered it in blue, a blue covering, and they put badger skin around it, and they carried it on a bar through the wilderness. It's a picture of our need of light and our light to burn brightly in this world. As we travel this world, it is to be transported with us wherever we go. And we should be in this world. We should be a bright light. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he is the light in you. And you're witnessing and you're testifying of the glory of God as you go through the world. And you're serving him. And your light should be burning bright tonight. It should not be smoking. The world needs to see a bright testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be a witness. I need to be a witness. I need to testify of Him. And it needs to be a bright light for them to come to the Lord. But at the same time, you need that light burning bright inside of you so you can see all the defilements in the world that are trying to get on you. Because as you and I go through the world, we're surrounded by what? Darkness. You're the light in the midst of that darkness and you've got to have that light. You have to have light for yourself to be able to see the darkness that's around you. What is in that darkness? What is it that's trying to defile me? What is trying to corrupt me? What, what enemy is, is in the darkness? I need to be able to see the enemy that's in the darkness that's trying to destroy me. I need to see the dirt of the defilement that's trying to get on me. My light has to be shining bright, not just to be a testimony to Jesus Christ, but so it can reveal to me as I go through the wilderness what's in the dark these are holy things these are sacred things and if your light's not burning bright you're going to go through the world and it's going to get dirt all over you and you won't even know it you'll be defiled there'll be enemies attaching themselves to them and all of a sudden you've lost your walk with God because you did not renew replenish the oil and you relied upon a past service for God. And so today you don't have a burning bright light. And so that's why we have tongs and we have snuff boxes. Now listen to me carefully. In the book of Revelation, go back over there real fast. John is on the island of Patmos. And he gets a revelation of Jesus. Now you need to remember what I taught, taught you earlier. That there are a total of 22 of those Hebrew letters and 22 of those almonds on that. A total of 66 parts and pieces. But 22 of the almonds, the round almonds, and 22 Hebrew letters. If you take the central shaft that's got four away... That leaves you 18. 666. So any church that doesn't have Christ as the center of it, any person that doesn't have Christ as the center of their life is going to produce 666 or an antichrist system. So it is important that you have the central shaft in your life 
as the source of oil flowing in and through you to make sure that you do not succumb to the spirit of this age called the Antichrist. Because you leave him out the sent for shepherds, four, four of those threes, twelve. All you have left is 18, 666. We go to the book of Revelation, we see that John is on the Isle of Patmos, the place of his killing. That's what the word Patmos means. It means the place of his killing. The place where he died. Not physically, but spiritually. He's cast out on the Isle of Patmos there for his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he gets a revelation of Jesus. Now, he sees, he's in the Holy of Holies, and then all of a sudden he hears a voice. The Bible says he hears the voice behind him. So John is standing in the Holy of Holies. He's standing in the throne room. And all of a sudden he hears the voice behind him. It's not coming from the throne. It's coming from the holy place. And the Bible says as he hears the voice behind him, he turned to see the voice that spake to him. And he said, being turned, I saw the Son of Man. Look at Revelation 1. And he saw, he saw the Son of Man. He saw Jesus at that point in the holy place. Revelation chapter 1. You're there. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Where are the candlestick located? Where's the manure located? It's located in the holy place. And John had to turn around and look, and he saw Jesus in the holy place here. He saw Jesus in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The voice that spake. He said, when I turned, he said, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And he said, all right, then I saw in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks. Watch this. Revelation 1.20 says that those seven menorahs or seven candlesticks are the seven churches of who? Asia. They're the seven churches. Revelation 1 and verse 11 saying, I am, Jesus speaking, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, under Ephesus, under Smyrna, under Pergamos, under Thyatira, under Sardis, and under Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Seven churches of Asia. And John saw Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks which are located in the holy place. But those candlesticks, Revelation 1.20 says, are the churches of Asia. So what we see in the book of Revelation is God is allowing us to see the church at this point is not in heaven. So when John sees Jesus, he sees Jesus in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks which would have been in the holy place, but they're on the earth, not in heaven. Why are they on the earth? Because those seven churches of Asia Minor are on the earth because they are the light in the midst of a dark world. And without those churches being not in heaven, but on the earth in Asia, seven of them, as a light to lighten the dark world by preaching the gospel, 
there would be no light in the world. So when you see in Revelation, Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks, he tells us they are the seven churches in Asia. He's standing on the earth in that picture. And he's standing in the midst of the seven churches and he's caring for those churches. He's the high priest. The Bible describes the way he looks as he stands in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks. The Bible says in verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches of Asia, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and a girdle about the paps with a golden girdle. He's barefooted. This is the operation of the priest. Priest ministered unto God barefooted. They had no shoes on. So when you see this revelation of Jesus, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek in the midst of the churches. Who are where? On the earth. The Bible says he's girded about the paps, that's his chest with a golden girdle, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. What's he doing? He's standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the seven churches, as the high priest. He's the great high priest. And his eyes are as a flame of fire. And what's he going to do? Revelation 2 and 3, he's going to walk among those seven churches and he's going to reprove, he's going to rebuke, he's going to call many of those churches to repentance. He's going to also speak of approval and he's going to praise some of them. So here he is in Revelation as a high priest walking in the midst of those golden candlesticks, Revelation 2 and 3, and he's trimming the wicks. He's reproving. He's cutting off things that are causing the light to be smoky and removing it from the churches. To some of the churches, he has much reproof. To some of the churches, he has little reproof. To some of the churches, he has great approval. To some of the churches, he has little approval. But he's walking in the midst of those churches that are on the earth that's supposed to be testifying of him. Approving, praising as the high priest or reproving and correcting the believer. And when he does that, that's when he's cutting the old works off of your life so that you can shine. Because these seven churches are not just churches ancient in the ancient days, back in the days of John, they are, they are seven churches that depict church history all the way to the coming of Jesus. So every one of those seven churches that are in Asia Minor, there is a church just like it in the world today. And Jesus is walking in the midst of it as high priest, cutting wicks and trimming wicks. So that church can shine brightly. I pray to God we're, we're, our, our light tonight is shining brightly so that, that when he comes in here as a great high, as the great high priest and he trims the wicks, he doesn't have to come in here and reprove us and rebuke us and call us to repentance. But he comes in here and says, I approve of you. You're doing good. You have not denied my name. You kept the faith.
And so he remains in the church that's on the world that is the light in the midst of a dark world, a testimony of Jesus Christ. He remains in the midst of that church working as a high priest, trimming those wicks so that we will continue to burn bright. And as long as you and I continue to be true to him, and as long as you and I live a repentant life, and as long as as long as you and I receive correction from him, our great high priest, and we allow him to cut on us and remove the old, as long as we hear him, as long as we receive revelation from him, and we obey him, and we're true to him as the bride. He will take care of you. He'll pour in the necessary oil that you need. In your vessel. But if and at any point. We no longer listen to him. We no longer receive correction. We no longer obey him. Or we cease to be true to him. He removes us. Revelation 2 and verse 5. To the church of Ephesus, he had many good things to say to them as, I, as the high priest went into the church. Many good things to say to them. Revelation 2. He says in verse 2, he said, I know thy what? Works. You're the wick in the menorah. I know thy works, he says, I know thy labor, I know thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. He said, number one, I know your works and your labor, and he says, your endurance. The word patience means endurance. The word patient doesn't mean you're sitting back doing nothing. The word patience means you're actively involved, you're overcoming, you're enduring. He said, I know your works, he said, I know your labor. I know what's coming off the wick. It's a bright light. He said, I know your endurance. He says, um, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. <laughs> See, the people in the world, you know, they want you to be a part of their group. They want you to be there and party with them and talk to them all. No, our witness is about not ourselves. It's about Jesus Christ. And until you become a born-again believer, we, we can't fellowship with you. We can witness you. We can testify to you, but we can't fellowship with you. And people don't understand that. He says, I know. And he's saying this. He's happy about it. He says, I know. You cannot bear them, people which are evil. Them. He says them. He didn't say their works. He said them. Thou hast tried them. You put them to the test. Which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. He said to this church. You got around some preachers that claim to be apostles and you found out they weren't true apostles of Jesus Christ. 
He said, you put them to the test and you found them to be liars. He's praising them. He's approving them. He said, hast born and hast endurance and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. You haven't quit serving me faithfully. You've served me faithfully. You haven't fainted. You haven't quit. You haven't given up. <laughs> Nevertheless, see, after he gets through praising him, he, find, he always does that. He always starts out with finding the good in him. Of course, there's one church he can find no good in. But he always starts out, if he can find good in you, he's going to find it. As a high priest, he's going to find it. He's going to look for it. He's going to say, hey, this is right. This is good. This is right about this church. But here is where it's wrong. So he, starts out, he doesn't start out by telling you how bad you are. He starts out by telling you how good you are. When you're shouting, woo, praise God, I'm, I'm an apostolic. Hallelujah. I'm a true apostolic. I haven't been deceived by false apostles. I'm a true apostolic. I'm a part of the apostolic government. The central stem has 12 pieces on it. Apostolic church. We're not talking about a denomination. We're talking about a church that's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Doctrinally. Verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, here's that high priest trimming the wick. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You, used, you were in love with Jesus. You were devoted to your lover. He was the central stem from whom you came out of. You are his bride. There was a time he said, you were true to me. You were in love with me. You were loyal and committed to the covenant. He says, but you have left your first love. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. He said, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to get back, to get right. He said, I'm going to give you an ability to repent. And if you'll repent and you'll be true to me and devoted to me the way you're supposed to and love me the way you're supposed to love me. He said, I'm going to give you that chance to get back there. In Jesus' name, I feel the Holy Ghost. See, Jesus will not be second place to anything in mine or your life. He will not take the back seat to anybody or anything in our life, period. You put a period on that. But He gives us an opportunity to repent and get back that relationship. Aren't you thankful for that grace? He said, remember? Therefore, from whence thou art fallen. 
He said, you got to go back. You got to, you got to, you got to think this through. You got to go back to the time and the place and the moment that you left your first love. And you know when you did it. And he said, I want you to go back to that time. And he says, repent. Turn around. Change the direction you've been going. Turn around. Repent. Are you listening to him? Are you hearing his voice? Are you being true to him? Are you obeying his words? If you are, when he comes to you and he trims your wick, you will receive the correction and you'll repent. And do what? The first works. Which is, you remember, I'm, I'm coming to a close. I'm not going to keep you all night tonight. But you remember when you first got in the church and how in love with Jesus you were? How in love with God and love with Jesus God. You were so in love with the Lord. Do you love Him as much tonight as you did when you first met Him? Or is there something in your life that has taken that love away? If you don't love Him tonight like you did then, you need to go back to the place where you lost that. And you need to repent and you need to do the first works. Amen. You need to love Him like you did at the first. You know? You know how it is. You know how it is, Brother Mark, when you and Sister Sonia first met each other? Mm, the eyes going on and the looks and you have to think a long ways back. You know, but after a while, you've been together so long, you start neglecting each other. Praise the Lord. You take each other for granted. You don't even care if he falls through the roof or not. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I was up there uh, yesterday, or day, I think it was yesterday, I was up in the attic and I was lighting pilots of, of my, uh, the heaters in my house, getting up there lighting pilots, and I had one heater that wouldn't work, wouldn't come on, and it come to find out it didn't need litten. It was an automatic pilot. And, <laughs> But then come to find out something's wrong with the board and it was messed up. But in the process, I was fighting with the, with the covers of the thing and trying to put it back on. And I, I fell right through, uh, my ceiling. It wasn't my whole body, thank God. But my leg went through, you know, and I have the marks to prove it. <laughs> and, uh, here I am. I'm up there and I'm, and I'm in a little bit of pain, you know, and I look down there and those, my beloved, what happened here? Looking down, not even looking up at the sky, see what, where her precious husband was. Looking down at all the dirt that had fallen and all the insulation that had fallen, you know, and, oh, get the vacuum cleaner. I didn't hear one time, are you okay, honey? And I still haven't been asked that question. <laughs> Just... Come down from there and fix the hole in this roof where I slap you. 
what you have done to our house. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. So, I mean, you know, after a while, I mean, you know, it goes both ways. Praise the Lord. Just like slam her finger in the door. You hurt the door? You know, it goes both ways. But I promise you, that first love, you couldn't do enough for that person. You went out of your way to pamper them. I got some men with their head hung down right now. Open the doors for them, you know, all that stuff, right? And yeah, now, praise God. You left your first love. So it is, it's, it's very hard to maintain your first love. You go through battles and throw me things in this world and the darkness is around you. If you're not careful, you'll lose that love and that light and that love. That you just, pretty soon you look up and where'd it go? Praise the Lord. By the way, I fixed the roof. Amen. The good news is, just like you can rekindle your love. Now, I know some of you are at a point in your marriage where you don't think that you can rekindle that love. But I'm telling you, you can. Because the Bible lets you know if you'll repent and go back and do the first work, start treating her the way she's supposed to be treated. Start loving her the way she's supposed to be loved. And maybe she'll start asking you how you are when you fall through the roof. But if you're not loving her the way she's supposed to be loved and taking care of her the way she's supposed to be taking care of her, then if you fall through the roof, she's probably going to clap. <laughs> she's probably gonna, I wish the whole body would have come through. <laughs> but you can rekindle your love in your marriage. Yes, you can. It may be long and far gone, but it can be rekindled. But you've got to go back and do what you did before. So Jesus is telling us today, but you got to go back and you got to rekindle that love and that fire, that, that passion that you had for Him. When it came time to go to church, you, you couldn't wait after you left Sunday. You couldn't wait to get back Wednesday. Because His presence, you just loved Him so much, you know. And, but if you're not careful, time will go by pretty soon. Yes, i got to go back to church tonight. You know, I could be doing some other things. I, I'm really busy. And, you, know, you know what I'm saying? You know, how many, is the fire still burning? you still have the passion? Are you in love with Him tonight? Can it be seen in your works? Is my light burning bright enough tonight for you to be able to tell when you look at my life that I really do love Him? Or when you look at my life, do you just see smoke? And you need to ask yourself that same question. Because at what time we neglect his, this relationship and we neglect Him and we lose our first love, at what time if we refuse to hear Him and repent and be true to Him? The Bible says in verse 5, He says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else or else 
I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. He said, I'm going to completely take it away. So it's important for us to allow the high priest to walk into our life and to cut the old service. The prayer I prayed tonight is not going to get me through the rest of the week. The high priest is going to be there cutting it. And he'll take that and he'll put it in the snuff box, gold snuff box of his remembrance and it'll be there. But I need renewing and refreshing of the oil every day and I need the high priest who is seen in the book of Revelation walking in the church that's on the earth as high priest doing the work of trimming the wicks. And I thank God for that. And you need to thank God for that. But I'm also thankful for the times when he can look at my life and say, you got that right. You're, you're missing it over here, but you got that right. Aren't you glad that, that you're not just totally off? There, there is a little bit right with you. Maybe a little bit right with me. And if there's a little bit right with me, that means there's something there left for him to work on, work with, as he cuts the wick. Then I burn brightly. I'm a test, I will testify and I'll be a, a true witness for Jesus Christ. And, and as I go through this dark world, as I'm traveling in the wilderness, typically I will be able to see the darkness that's around me that's trying to destroy me. Let's keep the light burning bright. How many of y'all want to keep the light burning bright? He's so good. This is the light for the priest. The priest minister in the tabernacle. As I come to a close, I will say this. In Numbers chapter 4, I believe it's beginning with verse 10. You'll have to check the verses on, on it. But they took that, as I said, they took that menorah and they covered it in blue. And then they covered it in badger skin. So it pictures number one of the Lord from heaven. And number two, because it's a type of the church, the menorah is a type of the church, it speaks of your source is the Lord from heaven. But they took and they covered that blue. They covered it with badger skin. So there's no beauty or comeliness that we would, though natural, the world and the natural does not look at Jesus and say, oh, how beautiful he is. And you need to remember this as well. When the world looks at you, they see badger skin. And there's no beauty in the church when they look at you that would want make them want to desire to be a part of the church. Listen to me. The beauty of this light is its operation in the sanctuary. But we are to carry that beauty to a lost and dying world that's surrounded by darkness. But when they look at you, they don't, ah, they're not beautiful. They're badger skin. 
Come and join us. Become a priest of the Lord. Enter into the, the heavenly, the blue, the heavenly sanctuary and experience the mighty moves and manifestations of God's light and love in your life. And it will be beautiful to you as well. Holiness is not beautiful to the world. It's beautiful to priests that minister in the heavenly sanctuary. That is as far as I will go tonight other than to tell you that it spoke of his hammering, his beating, his death on the cross, but it speaks of his resurrection. And it's the resurrected Lord that is in the midst of the church. Are you glad tonight that if you hear him, obey him, and are true to him, he's going to come into your life as he was in the seven, midst of seven golden candlesticks, seven churches, taking care of them, upholding them, protecting them in the dark world. Because he's alive tonight, he's not dead. And his church is not dead, his church is alive. And I close by referencing the almonds on this almond tree, the almonds on this menorah. They speak of resurrection. In Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah gets a vision. Verse 11. Uh, Jeremiah 1 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. He didn't say, I see an almond tree. He said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen. So he gives this vision of this rod of an almond tree. Thou hast well seen. For I will hasten my word to perform it. Amen. So he says the vision of the, the almond rod of the almond tree is a type of hastening. He said, I'm going to hasten my words. I'm going to do a quick work. I'm going to hasten. I'm going to wake it up. I'm going to do a quick work. The almond tree is called the waker. Say the waker. Because it's the first one that wakes out of the death of winter. It's the first one that buds as it comes out of death. In fact, it buds so early, sometimes in Jerusalem, it buds even in, Jer in January. You can go and look at an almond tree and it's budding in January and the other trees are dormant still. God is saying it's the resurrection tree that's come out of the death of winter. That candlestick, that menorah was placed on the southern side of the holy place which speaks of in the scripture all directions speak of something spiritually and it speaks of warmth and blessing. How many know when you get a south wind blowing it brings warm air. You get a north wind blowing, it brings cold air. It's placed on the southern side of the tabernacle. It speaks of warmth and blessing. And so, that's where that almond tree, that menorah is. And the picture is, it's the first one that wakes up. It's the resurrection tree. 
And that's why he says, this rod that you have in your hand, he said, I'm going to hasten my word. I'm going to quicken it. It'll be like the, the, the almond tree that wakes up from the death of winter. So it speaks of resurrection. Go to number 17. I close. I thank God for His Spirit tonight to help me to teach you the Word of the Lord. I, I cannot do it without His help. Number 17, before I do that, number 16, we have a problem. And the problem with is a, with a group of individuals who are connected to somebody named Korah. And Korah and Datham and Abiram they want the priesthood. And, and they have a problem with Moses and they have a problem with Aaron. And so they are murmuring against Moses and Aaron because they want, they feel like that they, you know, are just as good as they are and that they can be a part of the priesthood they want to be. And so they're murmuring against Moses and Aaron and so God lets them know, you know what ends up happening to those guys, those fellas that stand up against the authority of God, uh, the Bible says a hole opens up and they drop straight down into hell. Straight down into hell. God says, this is what I think about those who rebel against delegated authority. So he took them down. I'm not going to read all the passages. Verse 5 though, he says, 16.5 in Numbers. He spake unto Korah and to all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. <laughs> you just messed up big time. God says, I'm going to choose who's going to come for me. So I'm going to choose who's going to be the high priest. He said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you tomorrow. In the 17th chapter of the book of Numbers, after Korah and his group were swallowed up in hell, the Bible says in the 17th chapter, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking of the children of Israel, And take of every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod. Twelve rods, twelve names. Thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. Okay? So you take these rods that have been cut off. They've been cut. They're dead symbolically. You understand? Take those 12 rods that have been cut off, and God tells Moses, says, you write Aaron's name on one of those rods, 
to the house of Levi, and he said, you take those rods and you lay them before the Lord in the Holy of Holies, before the ark. Verse 4, and thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom and I will make to cease from the children of Israel whereby they murmur against you. Wow. He's going to take a dead rod that has been cut and God says, you lay it before my throne. He said, I'm going to resurrect it. I'm going to resurrect it from being cut off. I'm going to resurrect it from the dead. And so Moses does that. God says, I'm going to cause it to blossom. Moses laid up the rod, verse 7, before the Lord of the tabernacle of witness, and it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went in to the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds, bloomed blossoms, and almonds. There it is. Buds, blossoms, and almonds. Right on that menorah. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what Moses must have thought when he walked into the hole <laughs> right before the Ark of the Covenant and he looked down there and Aaron's rod that had been cut off that had been dead supernaturally came alive by the power of God. And it blossomed, and it had buds, and it had almonds on it overnight, resurrected from the dead. God says the one that has been cut off that was dead but was made alive supernaturally is the the true priest of God. And it's going to shut the mouth of everybody that murmurs against that. Who is that talking about? Ultimately, it's Jesus Christ. He's the true great, the great high priest, the true that was cut off, that was dead, but was raised supernatural from the dead. He is the true priest of the Lord. And anybody that rebels against him is going to have experience in their life what Korah did. He's going, he said in verse 5, he's going to cut the murmuring off. Remember in Romans, we talked to you Sunday morning, every mouth will be stopped on judgment day. All murmuring against the Christ of God will come to an end. The resurrected living Lord Jesus will sit upon his throne and judge the world. And nobody will say a word because he's the true priest of God. Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. Thou shalt quit take away the murmurings from me that they die not. Isn't that beautiful? Ah. So you take that resurrected rod. And you put it, they're going to put it inside of the ark. It's going to be a testimony. Okay? Now I, want to add, I believe they put it inside of the ark. But it says it here that they're going to take it. It's going to be kept for a token against it. Yeah. And the Lord said unto them, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and thou shalt 
quiet, take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. And Moses did so as the Lord commanded him, so did he. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we will perish. Whosoever cometh anything near the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Verse chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. See what God has done here by the resurrection of the one who died. The almond rod being a type of resurrection. Instead of dying, he is going to provide salvation for us so that when Jesus went to the cross, he walked as a prophet. He died as a lamb. He rose as high priest. And that resurrected Lord is offering salvation to us who one time were murmurers and rebels against him. And if you'll come to this resurrected high priest named Jesus Christ, you will find an offering, a sacrifice that was made for you that will remove the sin and the guilt out of your life. And he will then offer you eternal life forever and ever and ever and turn you into a brilliant, shining light. Your tongue will no longer be used to murmur and complain. Your tongue will be used to be a light, a testimony, and a witness as you point people to Jesus Christ because you know you deserve to die and you know you deserve to perish like I do, but He saved me and He's my great high priest and He's walking in the midst of the church and He's caring for us and taking care uh, taking care and protecting us and providing oil for us. Everything that we need, we find in Him. He represents you before the throne. So that when you come in the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, you don't die, you live. That's the gospel. And that's the message we need to take throughout the wilderness to a lost and dying world and tell them that Jesus if they'll come to Him and hear Him and obey Him and be true to Him, can save them as well. He did it for me. He can do it for you. I thank God for the oil of the Spirit of God that lives in me. Please stand. I thank God for the Holy Ghost that's in me. I thank God for the Holy Ghost that's in you. We love Him because He first loved us. You say, I love God. Really, all you can do is love Him back. Say, I love God. No, I love Him back. That's really all I can do is just love Him back. Because I know I deserve to die. But God provided a Savior for me. Father, I thank You tonight. Lord Jesus, let this church in Odessa, Texas be a church that shines brightly always testifying and witnessing of you. We renew ourselves in the Holy Ghost. You told us to be filled with the Spirit, so tonight we come for you, the one who supplies it, and we receive from you that oil of your Spirit. 
God, fill us to the full. We would be the wicks in the oil and the oil in the wicks. We would be submerged and baptized in the anointing of your spirit. But when we speak, it's not just words, but it's a word that is anointed by your spirit. Lord, thank you for trimming the old works off of us. We may shine brightly tonight. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the bruised reed and the smoking flats that will not quench. But tonight you'll walk in the midst of this church and if there be anybody that is bruised or anybody that is smoking only, that you'll remove the old dress the lamp, pour in the oil, let the light burn brightly in them once again. It is not your desire to quench it if we're willing and obedient. Lord, you do not have to relight the menorah. It's already been lit, lit once on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered together in the upper room, you poured out the oil of your Spirit into them, each individual in the church. You filled them with that oil and cloven tongues as a fire set upon each of their heads. Showing everybody that they were filled with the oil and now have been lit by God. Now, Father, there are many who receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, your presence in their vessel, and there is no cloven tongues of fire on their head, and they wonder why. The answer, Lord, is that you lit it once in heaven, and it has never gone out. It was not just for the early church, Lord, but it was for the church all the way to your coming. Each individual tonight, Lord, must be the wick in the oil and the oil in the wick. Spiritually ignited by your fire. Let us burn bright and let us be on fire for you each and every day of our life. Let this church be a witness unto you. In Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians 1 7. Paul said to the church of Corinth, he said that you would. And that you would come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of His Spirit, none of the gifts of the Spirit have stopped. They will continue to flow all the way through all of these lamps. Not just the early church, but all the way to the last day's church. That oil is going to be available. The Holy Ghost did not stop being poured out with the apostles. It is continually being poured out today. And the fire that was once lit in heaven continues to burn now in the church until he comes to rapture the church out of here. You will come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, each and every one of you, for being here tonight.